When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. I've been McGarry and with me as always, transfer guru Duncan Castles. Today, we've got something very special for you. You'll have to wait maybe 10 minutes, but an exclusive interview with a Bundesliga player who tells us what it's like to play in those ghost games. But first, of course, as always, we'd like to start with the news. And we can tell you that amid all of the confusion surrounding the potential future of Manchester United's on-loan striker Odino Gallo, uh, we have managed to clarify some of that confusion. Uh, it turns out that Gallo is required or wanted by United to stay and see out the rest of the season, should and if it be resumed. But one of the reasons that they are hopeful of doing that is because at this moment in time, uh, laws in China forbid foreign nationals who are considered to have been in a coronavirus hotspot, and the UK is certainly considered that, will not be allowed to return to the country to work until October, which means, of course, that would take in the time that the Premier League hope to play the rest of the fixtures between uh, June and August. Uh, it's our understanding that uh, United are not so keen to pay any permanent transfer fee for Igalo, and the wages he currently earns at his parent club, Shanghai Shenhua, are very prohibitive with regards to what United would be prepared to spend on a permanent contract for the 30-year-old. Duncan Agallo's been pretty good for United in terms of his goal-to-game ratio and his appearances. Um, this looks like probably quite positive for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, I think the goal-to-game ratio is a bit deceptive given that um, a lot of those goals are scored coming off the bench or in a you know, ghost game in Europa League in odd conditions. So he's got four goals from eight games yet to score in the Premier League. Um, the Manchester United obviously don't want to pay a transfer fee for the player. Shanghai Shenhua already pay him very high wages. They've seen his value to them increase because of um, his status increasing and, and scoring goals in England for Manchester United. So they'd want a substantial fee to make it a permanent transfer um, and uh, additional money to extend the loan. I think where United have been clever here is... Uh, in this argument that, well, you can't bring the player back under Chinese law at present. Um, therefore, you might as well leave him with us until he can return to China and we will pay you um, a, a loan fee for the period in which he, he remains um, to finish the, this Premier League season and we will pay a percentage of his wages as we have been doing up until now. So um, it gives them uh, essentially a, a short-term patch if they can do a deal with Shanghai on that basis and obviously Gallo will be interested in, in uh, extending his stay 
um, at least for a, a, a short period of time with Manchester United um, to get them through to the end of this Premier League season uh, if the Premier League is able to get restart functioning properly and we'll talk about that more in the podcast and, and actually get the games played. So confusion uh, cleared up, we hope, with regards to a gallows situation. But Duncan, lots of conjecture in the last few days regarding the proposed takeover of Newcastle United by the uh, partnership, including the PIF, the Saudi Investment Fund, uh, who would be the major shareholder in the club. And of course, part of the confusion has been caused by if Saudi Arabia do indeed have any connection to the pirate broadcaster BOutQ, who have been accused of stealing the uh, match coverage from both uh, the Premier League, Ligue 1 in France and La Liga in Spain. Uh, you have been at the forefront of reporting the news on this, Duncan, um, and I know you've been speaking to your contacts. Any updates that can clarify where we are with this? Well, I think there's an important report in The Guardian yesterday, which uh, is saying that the World Trade Organization is going to find that Saudi Arabia was in breach of international law as a result of uh, BOUQ's um, theft of, of Premier League television rights. Um, so that this is a, a long-standing investigation from the World Trading Organization, which had been uh, implemented by BN. And, uh, and obviously has been supported by the Premier League who have been pushing to uh, have this, these, the theft of, of BN broadcast rights stopped in Saudi Arabia, have, have tried to take legal action in the country and been, in their view, prevented from doing so. Um, so it, it does seem like it would be ammunition, further ammunition, um, uh, for those who, who feel, and we have La Liga arguing that way, we have BN arguing that way, who are a major funder of the Premier League, that, um, that Saudi Arabia should not be allowed to buy a Premier League club. I've talked to um, someone involved with the buying party about this and, and their position was doesn't really change anything. The entity buying Newcastle United is PIF. It's the Sovereign Wealth Fund. The Sovereign Wealth Fund does not control broadcasts. Um, it's not responsible for what is broadcast in Saudi Arabia. Therefore, there is not a direct connection between the buyers uh, and um, the BOUQ issue. Um, therefore, in our view, uh, the Premier League is not in a position to prevent us from buying uh, as far as their owner um, and, uh, and director test stands. So that, that's their view of this. Um, also, an argument which I explained on the previous podcast um, and was reiterated to me is that if you are worried about the theft of broadcast rights in the Middle East, um, and you're the Premier League, and, and obviously the Premier League are worried about that. It would be better for them to have Saudi Arabia as one of their member clubs, because then it would be in Saudi Arabia's interest to uh, stop an act against piracy and potentially actually buy some of these rights themselves. So basically have, uh, have Saudi Arabia's inside the tent um, 
directing their fire hoses on the problem of, of piracy instead of being outside the tent and uh, and directing their fire hoses into um, the Premier League uh, through the issue of piracy. So their, their stance is that they feel it will not make a change to the decision. Interestingly, asked when that decision will come, again, the, the feeling that they have is that this is being delayed because of the focus on project restart and uh, that no announcement will be made uh, until a resolution has come to on um, the restart contact training, dates for when to restart playing, sorting out issues such as how many of the games will be televised, um, when the games restart and the guidance was do not expect an announcement from uh, Saudi Arabian end that the deal has been completed until at least next week. And so on to uh, the Premier League, Duncan. And, uh, you know, excuse my French here, but as one Premier League player I was speaking to just this morning called it Project Restart. Don't you mean Project Shitshow? Um, <laughs> tells you something about where the players stand with regards to the administrative uh waffle that they seem to think that they're being fed with regards to phases of training, etc., etc. However, in uh, Thursday's meeting, uh, virtual, of course, of all 20 Premier League stakeholders, a motion will be debated on when the transfer window opens this summer. This, of course, uh, is something which will be very important to fans, but also to clubs with regards to financial liquidity and indeed um, investment, not just in players, but investment in terms of the clubs themselves who can sell. Uh, we've already explained on the podcast in the last two weeks the difficulties that clubs are facing with regards to day-to-day -day running costs, etc. Now, the suggestion, Duncan, that will be debated, the proposal I should say, is that the window should open the day after the completion of the competition, i.e. the Premier League. Now, if we were to estimate it's going to take between four and five weeks for that to happen, uh, to be played, we should say, then we're looking at possibly the first week in August uh, when the transfer window may open. Normally, it closes um, about three weeks after that. Is this realistic or do you think we might see an extension because FIFA allow a 12-week window yeah, FIFA's guidance, which came out some time ago now, was that they would be flexible on this and they would allow each association to determine when they wanted to have their inverted commas summer window, their long 12-week window to be placed. Um, and they were going to allow extensions for an additional four weeks if necessary. Um, they didn't put a limit I didn't say it had to be um, 12 weeks, so you could actually have a shorter one. And I think this is this is where the complexity of the situation is going to come in. So you look at what the Premier League's proposing now, as you say, um, restart date of probably 20th June or 26th June. You've got six um, weeks effectively um, required to finish the fixtures, um, and that's not including FA Cup fixtures, which which the FA want. Uh, to have resolved as well. Um, so you're then looking at being into the first week of August before you've completed. Now, if you're into the first week of August before you complete the current season, that gives you very little room to start the 2021 season and not run into fixture issues in that season, which means you're going to have, a, I think, a one, two, possibly three-week 
break um, available to the clubs. And, and also we have European Champions League competition to fit in there. Um, UEFA want to finish the Champions League in August. So further complication in, in uh, getting all those fixtures in. You have a very small break between the seasons in which to put a transfer window. So what do you do? Do you wait until the end of 1920 season, whenever you hope to get that done um, for an integrity of competition reason? So you don't want clubs to be trading players while they are still um, fighting for relegation, fighting for European places, um, trying to confirm the title. Uh, you don't want the ability for one club to buy or, or be seen to, to try and buy the, the you know, star striker of a club that's going head to head with um, over relegation during that period. Or do you, and, and do you therefore wait until that season's finished and only start the window, what would be just a couple of weeks before the 2021 season starts, which gives you a very abbreviated period in which to do business. Normally, Clubs, we know majority of Premier League clubs um, end up doing the majority of their business right at the end of the window. And they, they require this long three-month period to, to run through options. Um, and basically, most of them aren't very efficient at it. You're going to be asking them to, to condense that into a very short period of time or run the summer, summer inverted commas window long into the start of the 2021 season with the complications that has over integrity of the, the next season's competition. Um, in, a in a circumstance in which budgets are going to be more strained than ever. Um, so you, the, a lot of the discussions that are being had about transfers at present uh, between agents and clubs are essentially curtailed by, yes, we're interested in your player, tell us the details, tell us how much it would cost to sign, but we can't actually make a decision because we don't know how much revenue we're going to have next season because we don't know if we're going to get this season finished and we don't know where we're going to start the next season. So it, it is an extremely complicated process of how do you get an effective transfer window um, in a, what looks like it's going to have to be an abbreviated and hurried period of time. And add to that, the other European leagues aren't going to be doing it simultaneously. So assuming the Bundesliga completes as they hope to complete, the Bundesliga will have its, its season finished um, far earlier than the Premier League and will want to open their own transfer window at that stage. So you, you have even less coordination of, of the big European League transfer windows than you would have normally. And in addition to that, you probably don't want to curtail the window too much because a lot of clubs are going to be facing liquidity issues. We've talked about there's a couple of Premier League clubs at the moment who have severe liquidity issues and are, and are trying to source cash to get them through uh, into next month and be able to pay their bills. So that's a period where really you'd like to allow the clubs to be able to sell players to balance their books and, and to, to be able to pay the players that are already on their books. So, so uh, concertining the transfer window into a shorter period than normal actually works in the opposite direction. You'd want it to in a situation where, where you should be allowing clubs, um, should be making it easier for clubs to transfer players to help keep themselves alive and, and, and pay their bills properly. 
Well, one club who uh, were not expecting to spend a lot of money because uh, Duncan Castles, as usual, revealed uh, already in a previous podcast that Tottenham Hotspur were looking at a transfer policy where only freedom of contract players or trading in and out would be the um, solution for Jose Mourinho. Uh, Mourinho gave a very interesting interview to Sky Sports uh, in which Duncan, he basically confirmed exactly what you told us uh, three weeks ago. Yeah, it, I mean, he's talked about what he thought the transfer market would be like. Um, he said, uh, you know, I'm not going to run away from the question. I think it is normal that we're going to have a different market. I don't see the world and especially the football world ready for some crazy numbers that we're used to have and some crazy investments that sometimes some clubs especially some clubs of some leagues like ours are used to do. And he, he went on to say, um, I would like my club to be what I know that it is going to be. It's going to be sensible. It's going to be balanced. It's not going to spend rivers of money. And we are trying to respect the situation, not just of football, but the situation of the world and of society overall. So I think trying to put a brave face essentially on, on what, um, what we reported on the on the podcast at the beginning of this month, which is um, Daniel Levy has told him to focus his attentions on players who can be signed without a transfer fee, uh, because Tottenham want to uh, rein their costs in, uh, and uh, and will not be doing in this coming transfer window what uh, what Mourinho expected them to do before um, the coronavirus uh, hit the world and, and world football. So proof, if it were needed, the transfer window brings you the news. Well, you know the rest. You know how it goes. Also uh, this week in terms of the administrative and politicking of football regarding the restart, we can reveal that the Premier League and other authorities involved in the negotiations um, surrounding the return of football um, have no contingency plan with regard to what they would do in the event of a multiple infection in one club with regard to how that would be handled. It's our understanding that uh, should uh, several players, and it's a very real scenario, be infected with the COVID-19 virus, uh, making it almost impossible for a club to field a full strength first 11 or even first 18, uh, making uh, obviously uh, difficult uh, for the integrity of the competition, a, a thing that lots of people are talking about with regards to the restart, uh, almost impossible. Duncan, are you surprised by this? Because it seems to me like this would be almost the first thing that you would have preparation for with regards to what, how we're all um, living in this particular pandemic. Yeah, I'm very surprised by it. I think it's it's a fundamental problem with Project Restart is uh, the question of what you do if you have an infection within a club. Um, and, you know, the, the system has been set up to try and minimise that. Um, we've had Richard Masters, the Premier League chief executive, saying that they, they've believe that they've come up with a protocol that makes it as safe as possible for the footballers to play. Although he did say that um, ultimately it was the player's choice as to whether they wanted to involve themselves and and if they felt that, that it wasn't safe enough for them and their family and they decided not to play, that they would be free to, to do so. Um, 
But I mean, we, we've talked in the podcast about the issues with testing. We've talked about the question mark over um, the company that the Premier League are paying four million pounds um, to to provide these tests. And the, the fundamental problem I think they have with the protocol is that after the test is um, administered on the players and staff members, and the Premier League are allowing each club um, fifty tests per time and they're testing them twice a week, those results don't come back for up to 48 hours, which means you can be positive for COVID at the time the test is taken, but you have up to 48 hours in which you are able to train um, and it will soon be able to train in contact with your um, teammates and potentially you during that 48-hour period, you could be playing a game against opponents. If you have an infection coming into what is not going to be a bubble because they've decided they're not going to quarantine the players, they're not going to keep them in hotels, which I think is pragmatic, um, and a player gets infected by a member of his family or um, in the course of uh, social activity um, or norm or shopping or whatever outside the training ground, brings that into the training ground, he could potentially infect multiple teammates before the testing system the Premier League have put in place um, blows the whistle on it and, and indicates that that individual has COVID. Um, therefore, you need to have a strategy as to what you do in that circumstance. And the, the, the safest way to address that is once you have a case of COVID within a, a team group, especially a group that's contact training and in close proximity and um, you know, involved in activity, which, which we know carries the risk of transmission, would be to put everyone who's been close to that player um, in self-isolation for 14 days, not the seven days that the, the Premier League is using. Um, Tra track and trace, Duncan. It'd be the easiest track and trace in history. Yeah, you know that you know the players have been you know the players have been close to each other and, and therefore you you would want to self isolate um, all the individuals in the group and until you've you've had the opportunity to let the disease run its course and test multiple times to see everyone is is clear of COVID again. Unfortunately, you put that in place and then you get the integrity of competition issues because once you have a, a team taken out um, or a number of players taken out from a team, um, how can they play games against opponents? And, and you have a schedule in which they're trying to concert, concertina a lot of games into a short period of time. So one team taken out of action will mess with that schedule and will result in the, the restarted season um, lasting longer than the Premier League hopes it to last. And probably as a result, because they're going to have to run the next season, the 2021 season, close after the, the, the end of the current season or result in delays to that. So it's, it isn't, it's, it's such a fundamental issue. I'm surprised they haven't um, devised a, a protocol to deal with it as yet. Uh, project, as you now know, uh, what I said before we started that particular part of the conversation. Well, England deliberates, Germany plays. And we now are very pleased to bring you our exclusive interview with Paderborn and former Brighton and Hove Albion defender Uwe Hunemeyer, who we caught up with earlier this week. 
Uvi, welcome to the Transfer Window podcast. Hello. Greetings from Germany to England. <laughs> I'm, you sound very enthused there. <laughs> yeah, that... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy because uh, we've got a game tomorrow. So I, I think I'm... I can be delighted to play football already. So um, we are far ahead um, in, in terms of uh, playing football uh, comparing to the Premier League. So um, that's that's what we all love to do. Um, yeah, that's our job. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm looking forward to our game tomorrow. Brilliant. Uvi, tell us your experience, please, with regards to... Because obviously we are, as you just mentioned, behind in this country with regards to restart. What's it been like for you with regards to training, uh, coming back in terms of what the risks are with COVID-19? And then, of course, going to the ultimate stage, which is playing matches, albeit behind closed doors. Well, obviously, we we live in, in, in special times right now and uh, nobody really knew what's going to happen in in the probably tomorrow and the next few weeks. Um, um, Fortunately, we are already back playing, uh, but um, coming to this, we had to do, uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of stuff before. We are still following a lot of restrictions in training, around training, especially around games. So um, we are back back in training. I would say for about six to seven weeks already. Started in small groups, like um, like five or six players in one group. Um, get changed in different changing rooms. Um, so we just trained in our own group, had our own changing room. And um, then we um, yeah, opened up it a little bit more after two weeks, trained in bigger groups. And just two weeks before our first game, we, we could uh, train in a, in a full squad um, and could obviously um, do specific footballing stuff. So it wasn't the perfect... Um, preparing for our first game but um we all have to accept the circumstances right now so um but we are pretty happy that we are back playing already and um of course it's it's not easy of course playing without fans it's 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 a different situation uh, coming to a stadium there are, there are no supporters at all um doesn't really affect you playing away games. Um, normally, you can get intimidated by home fans uh, playing away. Um, they can create pressure, put you under pressure. But right now, every game seems to be really similar. It doesn't really matter playing home or away, even though you definitely feeling more comfortable at home still. But you miss your you miss your support behind you, and you can't um, beat really really good teams because you don't have that home advantage so all in all you can say um the better teams are have a bigger advantage right now because they're just showing their football quality on the pitch they don't really care about what is around um around the pitch uh, where you normally go uh, going away to a game and then you get maybe under pressure by the home fans and the home team so um you could already see that on the first two match day that um, especially the better teams um, have a bigger advantage right now. I think, Uwe, I think I'm right in saying the first two rounds of the Bundesliga return games, there's just been three home victories. Is that correct? Well, I, I don't know exactly how many home victories there are, but especially there were a lot of um, 
away uh, wins uh, definitely um, much more than normally. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what I said before. Just um, as an example, the the home game game of Mainz uh, um, uh, 0-5 against uh, Leipzig uh, last home last match day they lost by five. So um, normally they can create a home atmosphere against a good team, but this time it's just about pretty much the quality of a team. So um, this shows um, maybe the disadvantage of um, teams which were with less quality right now. We had um, your former colleague, Liam Resignor, on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago, I think, when we first started talking about the prospect of, of ghost games, as you as you call them in Germany, which I think is a great, great name for them, far more poetic than behind closed door games. And, and his prediction was that football would become more tactical and the teams that were more technical would benefit from playing behind closed doors because the fans had been stripped out of the the equation. Is that does that marry with your experience of playing? Yeah, I I would say maybe not more tactically, but definitely more uh, technically, definitely. So so that's what I said before. The the teams with more quality having a bigger advantage, they just focus on their their own game. They cannot get affected by uh, home atmosphere. So uh, they're just trying to to follow their, their match plan. And uh, that's exactly what happened over the last two match days already. So um, it's it's quite interesting to see how it develops over the uh, next um, few match days. Uh, but um, that's that's my experience after the first two match days, definitely, yeah. Bivy, at Paderborn, you're fighting against relegation. You're three points away from your nearest rival. Um, how difficult is it for you and your teammates to not have your fans there? Because in that situation, it seems to me that you're disadvantaged because of the situation that you are in. Yeah, definitely. As a small club as as we are, uh, Paderborn, um, with not the same financial uh, possibilities as other teams, we definitely need our fans, especially at home. So, um, because you, you've got like, let's say, seven, eight, nine teams you can beat at home, and even the really good teams, it's difficult for us to beat at home, even with fans behind us. But you've you've got like mid-table teams you always can beat at home with your with your fans in the back. So um, it's even more difficult for us uh, to beat or to get points on 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 the board. So, but. We try not to get affected by that too much, and we've shown that over the last two match days already. We played Hoffenheim at at home. They were the better team, for football wise, but we we've still shown a great spirit and gave them a big fight, and we were close to win that game, even without our fans. But I I would say with our fans uh, behind us, we would have won that game um, because that's that's the type of game you need maybe the fans behind uh, behind you to give us um, that little edge to beat the opponent and maybe the, give us a little lift in, in the last 10 minutes um, to run even more, to fight even harder. And um, that's what you miss indefinitely. There's been a lot of discussion in England that um, the clubs who are threatened by relegation, and essentially we've got six teams who, who have the risk of going down to the championship, feel it's unfair um, to finish the season and have relegation decided um, where they do not have home supporters. 
and, and they do not have the benefit of their, their home crowds when they're fighting relegation. Um, did you have that debate in Germany? And if you did, how did it manage to be resolved to the point where you've actually gone back and you're playing and this will count and decide relegation regardless of, of the disadvantages to the smaller teams that it, it um, applies to them? Well, actually, we didn't have a discussion about that. So, in general, there was just uh, the focus on um, yeah, finishing the league in, in any way. So, every club was uh, quite happy to finish the season. Um, we, we didn't want to have a relegation by finishing the season. So, everybody, every club was quite happy to carry on, even our club, because um, there was a... There is a lot of money uh, from 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 the TV contract. So um, if we wouldn't have, have uh, carried on uh, playing, um, we the clubs um, would be in big problem. Uh, would have get big problems without that um, financial support of the of the TV money. So there wasn't any discussion about um, uh, disadvantage or disadvantages or advantages for for smaller clubs uh, playing without uh, fans at home. So. That wasn't the case. Izzy, you were a, a member, obviously, of the of the Brighton team who achieved promotion to the Premier League and then played in England's top flight as well. Um, could you describe to us um, what the difference is um, in terms of um, the style of football in England with regards to having a massive home support behind you compared to what might be the case when you're playing an empty stadium, because a lot of people believe that in England, the support is one of the greatest assets of the league itself and therefore makes it difficult for even the biggest clubs to get results at smaller clubs. Well, I would say definitely um, the bigger bigger clubs always can rely on their qualities. That's, um, I think, the main difference to to teams who are fighting for relegation because they haven't got the same quality in the squad as, as bigger clubs. So when it comes down to, to winning games, they're still having an, uh, a big advantage, uh, the, the big clubs. But what, what football makes us uh, so... How do you say? Like, um, what makes it what, uh, what makes it so enjoyable for us is um, the fans behind us. Going to a stadium, get cheered by fifty thousand plus, and they they're cheering you up, fighting uh, fighting for every ball, challenging, going for duels. That's what that's why we play football, not playing behind closed doors. Um, but that's that's right now the situation we all have to expect, um, and. We in Germany made sure we can finish in, finish the season uh, in any way. So every club was happy to do that. I know the the circumstances right now in England. I think we are probably ahead like four to six weeks. Um, but every every club hopes to get back to normal normal uh, times um, and playing in front of uh, a lot of supporters. That's all what we want to do. But right now. It's really difficult to fight against uh, COVID-19 and um, we have to respect the restric restrictions and circumstances. So, um, and hopefully we can carry on as normal as, as, as soon as possible. Do you think, Uwe, that the style of football in the Premier League will 
naturally change when a stadium is empty because you know what it's like to play with, as you said, a huge stadium, full crowd behind you, whether for you or against you, and they can make a difference. So do you expect that when we see English football return, that there might be a, a sort of eerie atmosphere and not quite the same intensity? It, it can it can happen definitely because um, from my experience playing in England, I know how the, how massive the supporters are for a for a home team or even when when you're playing away and you've got a big away crowd behind you, it 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 can change the game definitely because the game will get slower in 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 terms of maybe passing the ball or passing forward. Um, you don't have maybe as many tackles as normal maybe in the first two match days because every team wants to see how it is to play behind closed doors it's 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 a it's a different feeling a new feeling for every club you don't you don't have that um you you didn't have that before maybe you've got friendly games in pre-season but there's still a different intensity in these games so from my experience um, in england uh, it can def de definitely happen that there will it will be slower and with less intensity in the in the first few match days. But after a while, it it will get back to a bit of normal. But um, the fans have a big um, play a big role in England definitely to 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 force players to go forward to 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 dive into tackles because you you get a response from the fans and that makes you stronger through a game you know they will they will support you as long as as you can run and uh, that that won't happen without fans and that could definitely change a game you you've told us you're enjoying being back training and, and playing again what's the response from supporters been like in germany well, right now it's um, it's uh, pretty quiet. Um, uh, nobody knew really what's going to happen, especially with the uh, let's say hardcore fans. Um, everybody mm -hmm. were expecting they're going to stand in front of the stadiums, and so they will still have a big crowd and um, in, in front of the stadium. But that didn't happen right now. So it, it's really calm. You just can read um, in, in social media sometimes some some reactions. Um, of course, not every fan is, is, is pretty happy, but uh, when you just uh, just seen the first um, the the um, the supporters watched on TV, uh, there were about five million watched football the first match day of football, which is uh, probably the one of the biggest number for Sky in 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 yeah their whole career. I, I don't know how I can describe it. So everybody was quite happy that we are back playing and. Um, we have got a big responsibility for the society, so we we have to follow the rules, wearing our mask uh, whenever we are in, in public. So, um, but all in all, I would say the fans are pretty happy. Football is back, but everybody hopes to be back in the stadium as soon as um, as possible, of course. Vida, you feel safe because there's been a lot of debate about players returning to training contact training and then games have you felt safe in the um the obviously the rules that have been put down the guidelines and everything else with regards to playing football again 
to be fair, I feel absolutely safe and uh, all my team uh, teammates feeling safe. Um, we get tested uh, twice a week. Um, the guidelines of the DFL were pretty good. And um, fortunately, we've got um, a great health, uh, health system in, in Germany. So um, I think they've done a great job, um, um, the health services here in Germany and, and the DFL as well, to to give us a guideline to follow and um, to to get us back to playing. And um, I feel absolutely sa sa uh, safe. I've got no um, uh, I've got no concerns about the the COVID nineteen right now. But we are we still um, um, follow it with uh, with a lot of respect. But um, I've got no con concerns at all right now. Can you can you tell us a bit more about the testing and the um, the the procedure around tests? If someone if someone is uh, shown to be COVID positive, are you using is it swab tests that you use? Yeah, um, they they take a swab of uh, our mouth and our nose, and it just takes twenty to thirty seconds, so it's pretty quick. Uh, we've done it just in the morning uh, today. We we always have to do it um, a day before match day. Um, um, so we've done it in the morning, and it just takes thirty seconds. Um, it's a bit awkward. It's not painful, or it's just a bit awkward when, when they going into your nose. But um, it, it's pretty easy, uh, and it goes really quick. And uh, I think by the evening tonight, we, um, everybody knows uh, if we are negative, so we um, we are ready to play tomorrow. Then, I ah, you, you get the results the same day. That's that's very different from the protocol in England, where they, the the results aren't coming back for forty eight hours. So that, that allows you in Germany to test everyone before you play games. Yeah, that's uh, that's um, 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 how do you say that's compulsory from from the DFL. So we we get tested a day before a game. Um, sometimes we get the test. I think I would say by the end of the evening. Um, if if there's no positive test, sometimes we don't even get an information about that. So because we've we've tested already eight to ten times already so it's uh, pretty uh, uh, normal for us already um, and um, right now it's a good sign for us that everybody's negative um, we just had that first positive test uh, just at the beginning of the um, uh, COVID-19 crisis um, where one of our play players were positive tested and the league um, were stopped straight after so but after that uh, fortunately everybody was tested negative as a defender, Uwe, you're involved in more contact probably than other parts of the team. So your risk assessment is probably higher in terms of you know when you are in contact with other players. You said you feel safe, but at the same time, do you ever consider your own safety with regards to that? Um during a match I'm not really thinking about it because I know <laughs> because you're yeah, committed <laughs> yeah definitely and 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 I know all the other teams are tested uh, as well so um I I cannot think about it during a game definitely um in in general terms um um at, at the beginning maybe I thought a bit about my own safety um but um I respect the rules and I follow it um the best I can and I make sure when when I'm back home, I, I try to stay at home as much as I can to protect myself and my family as much as I can because um, 
of course, there might be a higher risk of get, getting infected during a game. But um, right now, there is no positive test. Or there might be two or three cases in the Bundesliga right now. But these players going to quarantine pretty quick. Um, but uh, all in all, we've got a great um, health uh, system here in Germany. And um, because whenever I think about too much about my own safety or about general risk, um, it will, will affect me on the pitch and during my um, training routine. So there is no point for me to think too much about it. Am I correct in thinking that in the Bundesliga, they identify which players have tested positive if they do test positive, so everyone knows who um, who has had COVID and whether they're, they've been excluded from the team or not? Um, well, the clubs, um, they do not really say which player was uh, tested positive. Um, there are always rumours about player. I just uh, read about uh, Marcel Zabitza of Leipzig. He was just uh, back to playing for... Leipzig on a on a last match day and he performed really well and uh, we we just knew that there were two players or one player of Leipzig who was tested positive uh, three weeks ago but nobody really knows who it was because it's it's probably too private to say who it was and I don't know it it would it wouldn't really affect me to to um, to play football when I know this player was tested positive. Because after he was tested positive, he's he they 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 were saying he cannot get infected again. So um, because he got now he got uh, he created antibodies. So um, I don't know if it, it would change my mind to play a football game if I know which player was tested positive. I don't think so. As that's the same protocol as in the Premier League, they're they're keeping the identities of the players secret, just yeah. saying which club. Yeah, um, has had the positive test. Rizzi, to change tack, because I think you've been very generous with your time with regards to talking about your experience of playing under the restrictions of COVID-19. But we'd be very interested to know, because Erling Haaland has made an incredible impact at Borussia Dortmund since uh, moving. And... Uh, just wonder what it's like as a defender to look. I'm sure. Have you played against him yet? No, we play them on next Sunday. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, that's our <laughs> next game on Sunday. <laughs> what do you What do you think in terms of the impact he's made? Because he seems to be something of. We used to say about the Brazilian Ronaldo, he was the phenomenon, but Haaland seems to be a bit of a phenomenon himself. Well. Um... He introduced himself to the Bundesliga quite impressively. Um, I mean, he scored already, I would say, 10 in the Bundesliga and even more goals in the Champions League. Um, he looks like a great striker, to be fair. He's got everything in him. He's, he's quick, he's powerful, he's strong. He's got a great nose to, to give himself the right uh, to be in the right place in front of a goal. A uh, great finisher. Um, even a great mentality, great guy uh, from from what I have seen. Um, yeah, he, he's good. He's got a great career ahead of him from from what I have seen over the last six months. Um, so it's impressive to to see him, and um, probably I will face him next Sunday. 
when I when I'm not getting my fifth yellow card in in my game tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it it would be interesting to play against him. He, he looks like a he looks like a great striker with a great future ahead of him. Definitely. You're not you're not thinking of intentionally getting that yellow card to avoid having to play against him, movie. No, I'm thinking just about the game tomorrow. If if I need to get a yellow card because I can can save a counter attack or I can save the win, I will definitely take it for my team. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Yellow card just yellow cards happen. Sometimes you have to take one for the team. So I'm not thinking about it. It's a plethora of, of very talented players now in the Bundesliga as well, Uwe. Um, lots of uh, talk about Kai Havertz, uh, as well as Timo Werner, yeah. possibly moving to England um, in the next transfer window, whenever that starts. What's your assessment of those players with regards to their suitability as a man who has played in England and knows the um, very, very unique uh things that you need to have to succeed i mean uh, players with uh, this kind of qualities like that in uh, like uh, Werner or harvard i think they can definitely step in in any team in in, in the premier league because um especially timo Werner got uh, such a he's, he's such a quick player and he's got already um um qualities in front of a goal like Maybe Lewandowski, not, not not as not as strong and powerful as Lewandowski, but in terms of scoring goals, um, finding the space behind the back line, he, he, he can step in in every team as well as uh, Harvard. He's he's unbelievably a talented footballer. Like it looks so easy for him to play football. He's always calm on the ball. He always knows what what is around him, um, and. He's he's a great header um, for 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 a number ten or a striker, and which is not really normal for for a player like him, as skillful as he as he is. So he's got he's got a lot of qualities, and I think the the biggest difference um, from the Bundesliga to Premier League is, is that young players they they get chances here much earlier than in the Premier League. Um, Bundesliga teams they will give will give young prospects uh, chances to play football, just like Leverkusen. They played a 70-year-old player away to Bremen. It was his first game. He he started from the beginning, and you could you could see from the first from the first touch he, he's a big talent as well. So when there are teams in the Bundesliga, they they've got some talented in in the youth. They will give you a chance to play on on the big stage and. Whereas, uh, whereas in the Premier League, um, they rather um, send them out on loan, let them play in the, in the Championship or uh, Championship or League One, and uh, they won't do it here in the Bundesliga. They will give you a chance, even uh, even though you play uh, for Champions League place or Euro Europa League place, they will give you a chance when you've got the quality. We we have a very notable example of that. Who we talk about a lot in England at present, which is Jadon Sancho. Um, there's obviously interest in him from the major clubs in England and also outside England. Uh, if if you were advising Jadon Sancho on, on where his best move would be coming from the Bundesliga back to the Premier League um, to be a, a top player in one of those teams, which club do you think would be a, the best suit 
to his talents and his um, his mentality at present? Well, that's that's a that's a difficult question for me. I mean, he, he's he's such a big talent. I mean, he's he has shown that now over nearly two years already in Dortmund. His his numbers are incredible, uh, scoring wise and assisting wise. So. I don't know what what he prefers to, um, uh, when when he wants to go back to England. Um, he he played for Manchester City before, when I'm not wrong. Correct. So I don't know if he would happy to play for United then. So I don't know how big the rivalry is uh, between these two teams. I mean, I know it. There's a there's a rivalry, but I don't know how he sees that. Um, but in terms of football. Probably his style would definitely suit to Liverpool. I mean, um, but I mean, it's difficult to 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 tell tell him what what's best for him. I mean, he's such a big talent; he could play for every every big club in England. And um, I don't know uh, what he what he's going to do for a decision this summer or maybe next summer. Um, even in Dortmund, uh, he has got uh, good chances to to play on on, on the highest level. They just uh, building a, a great team in Dortmund. So who knows? Maybe he's going to stay for another year. I don't know. Ovi, many many thanks for joining us on the Transfer Window podcast. We very much appreciate your time, and we wish you and Essie Paderborn um, all the best for the rest of the season. Uh, and we hope to speak to you again soon. Um, maybe, and we hope when you have survived. And you are a Bundesliga team next season. Thanks a lot. We will do our best, um, even though it's really difficult. But um, our, our fighting spirit is very high. So we hope for the best. Um, it was a pleasure for me to join uh, this podcast. And um, yeah, speak to you soon, man. Good man, Uwe. Thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. To round off today's pod, we have, of course, uh, one of the highlights of all of you, as you all tell us, the Donkey Award. And there can be no other subject to commend to the title of the Donkey than, of course, Mr. Dominic Cummings, who, well, you know the story, and I don't have to explain it. This is the Dominic Cummings Award for sorry being the hardest word, or indeed the word you don't have in your vocabulary. Duncan, I'm going to open the envelope here. I'm quite excited by this one, given uh, all of the furore. Okay. Oh, yeah, we've got some very good nominations here. Donald Trump's not there, by the way, just so as you know. Uh, our old favourite and uh, friend of the podcast, Pep Guardiola, uh, is being uh, nominated for not apologising or even admitting to, a bit like Mr Cummings, uh, any wrongdoing regarding tactical fouling. I'll leave Duncan to expand upon that one. Uh, Roy Keane, a man who also finds it very hard to apologise, uh, but in particular, we're thinking about um, his uh, deliberate injuring of Alf Inga Haaland um, in revenge for a previous tackle Haaland put on Keane, uh, one which was um, rather colourfully uh, described in Keane's own autobiography, uh, and which he served, I think, a 10-game suspension for what he wrote rather than the tackle. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, John Terry for everything. Uh, Duncan, 
who would be your winner of the coveted Donkey Award this week? For everything, okay. Tell me what the the specific nominations. Uh, well, you know, are. run through uh, them for okay, me. Okay, I'll run. Th- I'll ju- I'll let you expand. Okay, so for a start, it took him a year to apologise for the alleged racist abuse of Antoine Ferdinand, which earned him an FA ban. So sorry, it was definitely the hardest word there. It took him a year to learn it. It's only five letters. Um, then there was the alleged affair with Wayne Bridges' uh, partner and um, mother of his child, which ultimately cost Terry the England captaincy and then saw the demise of Fabio Capello as manager. And there are other you know, instances where we've seen uh, one of um, John's uh, cars parked in either WL lines or disabled spaces uh, near the fast food outlets, uh, his favourite ones near his house in Surrey. Uh, there may, and it's interesting, isn't it? Surrey, how close it is to Surrey, you think you might know. So Dominic Cummings... The award for sorry is the never word. Duncan, over to well, you. I don't think uh, Roy Keane would come up with such a elaborate um, explanations of of why he'd uh, engaged in behaviour that the majority of uh, the watching public thought was um, abhorrent, uh, ridiculous, um, very hard to believe. So I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch Roy Keane off because he owns up to his uh, transgressions and, and explains them in his own way and, and uh, lets you deal with it as, as you like. Pep Guardiola, yeah, I think uh, that ability to not admit to your mistakes uh, and your uh, uh, the tactics you employ in certain circumstances is uh, is, is fitting of, of Pep and maybe, maybe he himself needs, before we restart, the Premier League season, maybe he needs to, to take a drive to Barnard Castle and and uh, take the eye test there, um, so he can. <laughs> maybe you could give Arsene Wenger a ride. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly needs the eye test. <laughs> the question is whether, the, if you put those two in charge of a car for an eye test, would they ever get there? Um, <laughs> how far up the road to Barnard Castle before they have to stop in the woods? Six TV um, wonder in the back as well, by the way, just for the sake of it. <laughs> But um, I think I think you have the winner. Uh, I think I think you've explained it well. Why John Terry is the the sorry is the hardest word uh, in terms of public apologies for that man. And uh, and uh, yes, he and Dominic Cummings can uh, to walk away with the with the award this week. Fantastic! Thank you very much, Duncan. One day, uh, people, I promise I will tell you the story of when I asked John Terry to apologise to me for something he said. And his response was to basically ask me for a fight on a tarmac at an airport. But that's a story for another day. And I'm sure that will keep you thinking until, of course, we have our next Transfer Window podcast later this week. However, please get involved in the debate. Please, uh, on our social media channels, you can find us at Transfer Podcast, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. At Duncan Castles uh, is Duncan's own handle. Mine is at GarboSJ. If you like what you hear, and we know you do, and we hope you enjoyed the great interview with Ivy Hunemeyer that we brought you this uh, particular pod, pop on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, more people hear, more people listen, more people get involved, the community gets bigger, everything is better. As for now, uh, we shall see you later in the week. Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 